We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, welcome in, friends. It is a great night, not only because the national championship is on, but because the, the Charlotte Hornets just beat the Milwaukee Bucks two games in a row. This is one of those rare COVID back-to-back, but not really. There was a night in between. Charlotte beats the Bucks again tonight, second game in a row, 103-99. to 99. Terry Rozier leading the way with 27 points, seven rebounds, four assists for Charlotte. My big takeaway, and then I'm going to throw it to, to BG here in just a second, but unbelievable result with two games in a row beating the reigning champs. You know, knowing they're missing Drew Holiday and some other really important key players they're going to have in the postseason. But I, I just think mentally this is such a hurdle that this group uh, just overcame, this young group overcame to get to 22-19, and 19, three games clear of 500. And again, beating Giannis, the reigning MVP, the reigning champs, back-to-back games. I I think that Charlotte is set to take the league by storm is strong, but I think they're set to really finish this season and for the next few weeks uh, be a very, very confident basketball team with these two results they just got against the Bucs. BG, what say you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, to win twice in the span of, you know, 72 hours at home, um, I know – you know, obviously no Drew Holiday, certainly no Brooke Lopez. He's barely played um, just, what, one game so far this season for the Bucks, and they're out a few other guys. But And you can see without Drew, like, you know, the point of attack defense is not the same. So you can see the Bucks using a lot of zone. But uh, you, were, you were mentioning this, uh, Spencer, uh, before we got on, just Charlotte's defense sort of digging in here and, and maybe not just the, the confidence that comes with these two kinds of wins, but just showing, like, no, no, no. When you, when you need to, like you guys, can, you guys can lock up against a, a very good team with arguably the best player in the world at the, the tip of the spear. And um, as we've discussed, or as has been kicked around in plenty of other circles on the on like the Hornets broadcast and some other places, like Charlotte's schedule 
it eases up. There's less travel in the second half. They play a lot of games at home. You know, knock on wood, the, they've gotten some of the injuries. And I, I know Kelly Oubre is out right now. He entered the COVID protocol today. But the hope is that guys stay healthy. Guys can stay out of the uh, the COVID protocol. And it just seems like maybe they cleared. You don't want to get ahead of yourself. And, like, stuff, the switch can flip so quickly in the NBA. But I think the hope would be that you've kind of gotten some of the choppy waters behind you. Now you take these two big wins. You know what you can do on offense. You have an idea of what you can do on defense when you're not playing like one of the, the two real pick-and-roll machines in the NBA, a la Phoenix or, or Utah, but you can kind of match up with basically anyone else. Hey, you know, this could also be like Milwaukee-Charlotte could be a, a first-round playoff matchup too. I mean, that's now that's getting ahead of ourselves, but just something to, to possibly consider. So, no, I, I thought it was a huge, huge uh, m- m- momentum wins um, both with the, each of the last two games and certainly the two games that, you know, um, it wasn't like Charlotte just like yawned its way through winning by like seven points or, you know, or they won in blowout fashion. Like they kind of had to, they kind of had to rally at different points. They had to hit some big shots. They had to get stops, which is something that, has been an issue for this team at times this year, but they, they stepped up and they made huge plays against an awesome, you know, like battle tested veteran team with Giannis uh, as the headliner. So very impressive win. Lee, did you have any, uh, any sort of like instant reactions to just the magnitude of the victory, what this could mean uh, setting up the second half for Charlotte? I mean, you guys, you guys said it really well. Um, I, I think, my main just like knee jerk takeaway is the the Lamelo game winner. Um, you know, gets isolated on Wesley Matthews um, and kind of does his uh, you know one of his kind of one of his few patented moves that he has at this point with the kind of the euro step and the carry over the top and and create some separation and hits this kind of. I mean. Generally, kind of a wild shot, but for him, I, I think that's you know we we see that at, at, a, at fairly regular junctures. So I mean that certainly jumps out. I think and, you know we'll get into kind of more of the individual plays, um, and, but but I, I do think and it'll be interesting to talk about because PJ Washington had kind of a weird game from a statistic like a raw statistical standpoint in the box score. It doesn't look like a lot, but just had some incredibly important. Plays um, obviously played with five fouls for like the last I don't know six or seven minutes. Had a couple great passes, particularly one on the baseline to Miles Bridges for a huge basket late in the game. Um, you know, definitely not like a prototypical awesome PJ game stretching the floor or anything like that. Um, but just I mean I don't know I, I was emotionally tweeting at the end of the game like. You know the the fine citizens of Charlotte will will riot if we if we trade PJ Washington at this point. Yeah. He he, uh, he definitely like missed a fair share of like good kind of like above the break catch and shoot looks from deep, and he's been. I looked this up after the game on Saturday. He was hovering just under forty seven percent from above the break this year. Just just, I mean that's like that's ridiculous. And it's the second year in a row now he's been above forty percent from above the break, which is. Pretty impressive. I mean, he's like a legit stretch five. Like, we kind of need to talk about – there was a conversation a couple months ago where people were like, hey, let's talk about how many true stretch fives we have in the NBA. 
Yeah. Um, and you know, everyone will mention Turner. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that you can, t- you know, guys that are like our legit rim protectors that also can, can shoot threes on volume. And I know PJ doesn't look the part, but you know, he is, he, he plays not, I mean, he played some four tonight, played very briefly with, with Plumlee early in the game, but I mean, he plays 90 plus percent of his minutes at center and um, he blocks shots and, and he, and he sh- shoots a ton of threes, but lead to your point. I, um, I think I tweeted out something again, maybe a little emotional late in the game being like awesome two-way performance from PJ Washington uh, tonight. And I looked at the box score and was like, Ooh, mm, two of 10, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little, I mean, he was, he was awesome tonight. And I stand by it, but uh, the, the shooting line uh, does not look uh, as clean as we're maybe used to seeing it with PJ. So forgive well, me. I, I got a little ahead of myself there. Maybe not. Nah, well, no, nah, I mean, PJ is well, number one, Brian, to your point. I mean, like he's not cast out a character as a, as a small ball center because and, and the college game is different, but he played center of Kentucky. Number one, mm-hmm. you know, number two, now he's played what I'm, I'm just guessing 65% of his NBA minutes at center. I don't know. Something in that. Yeah, you know, so yeah. at this point, it's just like he's learned how to do it, right? Uh, yeah. for, if for no other reason. But in this Milwaukee matchup, PJ is so important, mostly because of what he does to their defense, but also like that guy. I mean, he had 10,000 last, no, excuse me, at 11,000. He fouled out in the game the other night, right? He gets mm-hmm. so like between Plumley and PJ, when you're going up against Giannis. Uh, and Brooke Lopez isn't there from Milwaukee. Like the, you have to have bodies to throw at him. And PJ exerts so much energy on that end of the floor, and it all pays off in the end when he when he you know gets the the strip on Giannis. It goes off his knee, and that that was the play that won the game for Charlotte, in my opinion. And so you know he just he keeps fighting. He stays in there. I, I, I there's I think there's still a lot to be desired about what PJ can do in the middle of the floor when he puts the ball. He can pass it to both corners. He can kick it back out, but. Can he go to the rim? Can he make something at the rim? His floater game is basically inexistent at this point. But, but I mean, he's going to play hard. He, he's, he never plays himself off the floor, and he allows Charlotte on both ends of the floor to do what Borrego wants him to do, right, and is be versatile on both ends, and, and he never plays himself off the floor. So big game for P.J., although the box score doesn't look great. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say, which is, like less personnel and just more of kind of like the flow and the feel of the game. It felt like Milwaukee gave Charlotte multiple chances to kind of push that lead out, you know, from like the six to eight range to the, to the like 15 to 17 point range. And they, they missed some open shots. They had some sloppy turnovers, particularly to start that fourth quarter. I think they missed like their first five or six shots. So you always like that always makes me nervous. Like I, I had a pit in my stomach there, thinking this is a, this is a defending champ. You, you don't get second chances to put a put a team like that away. Um, and of course, Milwaukee like falls all the way back to tie the game. Um, and, and then you know, like Spencer, like you said, the the, the PJ defense in transition against Giannis was massive. Uh, the Miles Bridges layup, Gordon Hayward did a huge three on the right wing uh, late in that game as well, and and for the Hornets to to like overcome squandering a chance to put the Bucks away and then winning a tight game against a team of that caliber, uh, I just think is massive. Yeah, they shoot. Charlotte shoots under four, just under forty percent from the field. 
uh, just under 30% on threes. They don't even get to the line like a ton, but obviously they shot a, they shot a good ball from the line, 14 of 16. So yeah, I mean, that's just a gutty win. You know, it's not like this wasn't like an outlier, like good offensive performance that they had. Right. And they're missing their top bench score. I mean, say what you will about Ubre, but like, he's a, he's a big part of the rotation. Um, and you find out, you know, five hours before tip off, you're not going to have Kelly tonight. Um, but then, you know, there's Cody Martin and Jalen McDaniels ready to step up and, and, and give you some juice. And Cody hit a couple huge threes tonight. And I know Jalen McDaniels maybe struggling with the shot a little bit, but man, he hit a, he hit a big corner three tonight against the zone. I think it's when Milwaukee was in zone that just like, yeah, air lifeblood for, for Charlotte. Like they needed it so badly at the time. And I would also say too, I mean, just as far as like Milwaukee goes, um, I mean, I think defensively you really felt like the lack of holiday as, you know, yeah. LaMelo has, has a good game or certainly in the second half. And he was great Saturday and Rozier's getting to his spots and hitting tough shots. And like holiday takes some of that stuff away. I also felt like in the minutes when Giannis wasn't out there, there's just, there was no real way to pressure the rim. Like drew is such an important part of their, their rim. Pressure. And like as middle Chris Milton is awesome. He had a bunch of turnovers tonight, but like, He's a, he's a total beast. He did. I did. Although I will say this about Middleton in both games of this two, the, this two game mini series in Charlotte, Middleton had a, a jumper blocked, including like a fadeaway blocked by PJ in the game on Saturday. And he had a, I think a three ball blocked by Hayward, Hayward early in the game. Yes. That's a little interesting. Um, maybe, uh, who knows, maybe just a little tired or, or whatever, but that's a guy that like hit Chris Middleton's not like a separation guy, right? He's just like, he's six, seven Durant. He just shoots over the top of everybody. So a, a little interesting to see some of that. It's a couple of those shots get knocked down by blocks, but um, yeah, I think that was like, that was something where they missed uh, where they certainly missed Drew is the rim pressure when those, those, the, the lineups with Giannis on the bench. But I got to say too, I like, you know, Giannis is just, he's hit this level of a player where there's just there, obviously there's no one quite like him, but I'll say this, like when I'm watching the Hornets against him, the, the, the feel that I get is the feel of like when the Hornets would play, would play LeBron, you know, or when they would and honestly, like Embiid gives me some of this, this fear too, of just like they're physically, you're like, I don't even know how you can match up. Like, how do you, how do you, how the hell do you match up with this guy? Like, how do you yeah. do it? Exactly. You, know, you can't. You have to you throw know. a wall at him. And I, I'm sitting here looking at the cleaning the glass box score, BG. And to your point, I mean, look, Milwaukee, they shot almost 86% at the rim, but only 20, <laughs> only 20% of their field goal attempts came from there. So it's like, and it's 48% of their field goal attempts came from behind the arc. So, you know, part of that is Milwaukee's ecosystem. The other part is Charlotte's just like, hey, here's a wall. Okay, yeah, like we're yeah. gonna make you beat us another way, and of course, Giannis still gets his numbers and everything, but it's very obvious what Charlotte has asked Giannis and the Bucks to do shorthanded in the past few games. And to Borrego's credit, it has worked, and maybe it gives Charlotte's defense a little bit of a spark, albeit a defense that is able to dig their heels in and just say, "Here's a wall," and not scramble. BG, to your point, if they play Utah or Golden State or one of the other, these other teams that like to spray it around, they're yeah. in trouble. But the other thing, I, I want to give a shout-out to Dante DiVincenzo. Thank you, sir, <laughs> he, for getting he, 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 up tonight because you helped the horns. <laughs> he, he, he impact, I was just you mean the big, the big ragu? Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> right, the big ragu. Yes, exactly. The, uh, yeah, Pat C. and uh, Dante DiVincenzo. 
uh, were a combined 0 of 12 from three and a combined 0 of 14 from the field. Uh, DiVincenzo with a, a minus 22 in um, 16 minutes tonight. So, yeah, those guys, they were the MVPs tonight. <laughs> yeah. I yes. love DiVincenzo. Loved him at Nova, but man, rough, rough one. Only, uh, I think it's his fourth game of the season or something like that. But anyways. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Three guys I want us to talk about because one of them was awesome. And let's start here in the second half. Lamelo, unbelievable second half. It was like the full Lamelo experience where it's, or at least from my perspective, where it's a lot of no, 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 yes, 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 yeah. kind of stuff. I, I feel like that's always what it is with Lamelo. But, man, he was – and even his defensive energy, Lee, like that on the baseline, Milwaukee with it, I think it was late third quarter, might have been early fourth quarter. I just felt like he never got the steal. He, he made a basket, comes back, gets a deflection out of bounds. Milwaukee's taking it back, baseline out of bounds. And then he almost gets another steal. And it just felt like that's the kind of stuff that he – he just he turns the emotional tide for Charlotte. I, I, I thought he was un, it's one of his best second halves of the season, I think, or best halves of basketball. Yeah, I uh, I won't I won't um, I won't fall into a cold sweat in like a ten minute Lamelo rant like I did the other week with Richie. But I, I do think like he continued. I mean, and and look, like let's let's be honest, it wasn't necessarily a, a great game for Lamelo, particularly kind of a poor first half. But he just kind of took the game over in stretches. I mean, he had a he had a stretch in the third quarter, and he had a stretch late in the fourth quarter where he's just doing things on both ends, like you just said, Spencer. That 
nobody else on this roster can do. I, I think one thing I noticed tonight that I thought he did a pretty good job of, and, and I've kind of like talked about how I think his defensive anticipation um, it, it's pretty otherworldly. Like that's the same cerebral intelligence that allows him to see the force so well on the offensive end that allows him to also kind of shoot these passing lanes and, and kind of guess what the opponent's going to do before they do it. What, Obviously, he still has massive defensive holes, but one thing I thought he did a really good job of tonight at times was, let's say Giannis was attacking Bridges or Plumlee or Washington in the middle of the floor. LaMelo was doing this thing where he was kind of stunting at Giannis while still trying to recover to the shooter. And, you know, know, I I won't go as so far to say that it, like, bothered Giannis, but I do think it made him take, like, half a second more of, of, like, processing what was happening from the Hornets' kind of, like, defensive layers. And LaMelo's so big and long that he just mm-hmm. was was kind of doing this stunting back and forth that I thought was, was pretty impressive and actually made, like, a little bit of a difference. And and then the other thing is just obviously what he can do, what he can do on the offensive end. He had kind of a, a, a streak there in the third quarter where he got hot. And, and just continues to, like, shoot the ball at, a, at an impressive clip uh, that I think um, most people are surprised by. Um, I will mention, just because we do have a pretty good crew in here, if anybody's got a speaker request um, from the crowd, we appreciate you guys coming in and, 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 and chatting it up with us after this big win. So, you know, if, if not, that's no big deal. We'll keep chatting away. But if anybody's got one, go ahead and uh, hit us up with it. Yeah, one last thing about Razier, just to really to, to, to piggyback off what Lee was just talking about. Um, it kind of reminded me those little like those little like Lamelo really like applying his length with those those Giannis stunts. It, not the same thing, but it kind of reminded me of when Charlotte beat Golden State earlier this year. And there were a couple of times in that game where Golden State was getting into their split, all their split cuts, their split action stuff, and Lamelo had to switch onto Curry a couple of times. And as Curry's in those patterns where he's sort of like, you know, running underneath and in and out of your defense, and LaMelo just would put his hands up, like, in between, like, where, you know, Draymond or whomever the, the passer is and, and and Steph Curry, it was just being like, like, I might not steal it, but it's going to hit my right arm. Like, you're not going to complete this pass. And I also thought his, his act tonight against Milwaukee, the activity level defensively, you saw it. Uh, with him also occasionally like picking up full court and bothering that that inbounds pass a little bit too, and just forcing Milwaukee to maybe get into the offensive flow a few seconds later. Then you're going against the zone. Then you get it to Giannis, but Giannis has got three guys on him. And then by the time you know the possession gets rolling, kicks it out, and you know DiVincenzo is bricking another three. You know, so um, I thought that was also um, pretty helpful. I think we have a speaker request, Matt S at. G. Burrow, Matt. Matt, are you with us? Go ahead. Hey, guys. Good evening. Thank God for the Hornets. I know this is the Hornets podcast, but uh, <laughs> the uh, miserable end of the season from the other team. <laughs> this this is a very bright spot. <laughs> and uh, just uh, wanted to bring up, I wasn't, I was listening to the game. I wasn't able to watch it, but uh, the second half, I know they said they had 12 free throw attempts to two, I think, for Charlotte. And by the end of the game, it was pretty – it was even, I think, the free throw attempts. I think uh, Milwaukee only attempted like four in the second half. So, did, 
Borregos were, you know, fussing at the officiating, finally get through, or I think it kind of, I know that uh, Gordon got that cut and cut uh, early, was that early in the third quarter? And, you know, maybe after that, the officials kind of said, you know, maybe we're, uh, you know, letting things uh, go go a little different or just the Hornets were just defending better without fouling. I don't know, but, uh, you know, as opposed to the game, even though they won, you know, a couple of nights ago, but well, Giannis had like 20 free throw attempts, ridiculous. I think they just did a much better job either, you know, do, doing a better job defending and, uh, you know, not fouling uh, there in the second half. And just even in that first half when the, you know, this team in the past when the offense is not clicking, it seems like the defense intensity isn't there either. And that's where you get, you know, uh, down by 20 points real quick. And uh, I just thought it was impressive that even though, you know, their shots weren't falling uh, there in that first half, especially that, uh, you know, they kept that defensive intensity up and really, uh, you know, kept them in the game. Matt, great point. Thank you for the question and thank you for listening. Um, I think you're dead on. I mean, that free throw, you know, disparity, you know, certainly started to shrink in the second half. One thing I, I really thought I meant to bring it up earlier, you know, Terry Rozier, I think both came in the second half, gets two tap out offensive rebound uh, <laughs> fouled on three point shots. So six free throws. Come in LaMelo in, in La got fouled on a three, too. Right? That's right. So, and, so, and, nine, so yeah. nine of their 16 free nine, throw yeah. attempts tonight came in. And I think they hit. I think they hit eight of those. Nine. I think Rozier missed one, and Lamelo made all three. But yes, that is funny. That over half of their free throw attempts came on uh, three fouls on three point shot attempts. I mean, just yeah, the NBA just weird stuff happens over the course of an yeah. eighty two game season. Man, you just have weird, weird crap happens. And yeah, that's certainly one of them tonight. Yeah, th- those three three point shots that led to nine free throws are, are certainly a huge. Contra- obviously, it's over fifty percent of. entire free throws taken in this game but the other factor I would say was Miles Bridges I mean you know he he doesn't he doesn't go to he doesn't live at the line in this game but his aggressiveness going and I even thought he left some opportunities on the table tonight where he bailed out Milwaukee late in the game that long two he took with less than two minutes left was was awful you know like he's I know it's tiring. God, I can only imagine. I mean, it is exhausting to attack the basket and go through dude's chest constantly like he does. But, like, he has got he's, – he's really already has mastered that. And he's just now going to understand it's the strongest part of his offensive game. So, you know, Miles Bridge is one of those guys, like – you know, it's nice to see that he's developed an outside shot. But, man, that guy could live, live at the free throw line because of how much power he has in the paint. Let's uh, let's go ahead and go to Evan if he's with us and uh, you know question or comment go for it Evan. Hey guys, it's up. Big win tonight. We I think it was you to talk about it. And I apologize if you addressed it. I was I was in and out. Um, you know, PJ definitely had an interesting game. Um, there was times that I was you know pretty frustrated with him in terms of just missing some shots around the basket, some turnovers. But he obviously he stepped up. Um, you know, at the end, I, I I'm like torn on this. Every day I go back and forth because if we do want you know, a center, like an actual, you're going to have to give up a guy like PJ Washington. And, and I think you mentioned that, you know, that, that uh, Charlotte would riot if, if we traded PJ <laughs> right now. So, uh, so does that mean that you're, you're content on not trade, not going for a big man because you're going to have to give up a guy like PJ if we do? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't, uh, you know, my eyes may have rolled back in the back of my head near the end of that game uh, as we were, as I was, as I was basking in victory, but, 
I mean, I think it's I think it's a great question, Evan. I think it's a I think it's a fair point. I think it's I think it's something that you know, as the Hornets have kind of you know to, to a degree moved into at least more of the national spotlight with Mello, with Lamelo and and actually being a team worth following. I think it's like it's like a macro NBA question right now too. Like the Hornets need a, a true center. The Hornets need a rim protector. What kind of package would it look like for them to acquire? you know, one of the three or four guys that we've kind of bantered around on this podcast for the last last two months or so. I mean, we've certainly kind of talked about it ad nauseum, so I don't know how much we want to unpack, um, like, the PJ for, for a rim protector uh, discussion again. But what I will say is I do think nights like tonight, even on a night where PJ isn't doing his kind of patented, you know, stretch five, hit threes above the break, as Brian was talking about earlier, he still just is so incredibly important from a change of pace standpoint, from a from a defensive versatility standpoint. I thought uh, one of the lineups in the first half that actually had Charlotte kind of originally build their first lead, it was, it was actually Rozier on the ball, Martin, Hayward, Bridges, and Washington. And going through a lot of the lineup data last week, so this won't be like, completely updated, but we know that the Bridges at the five lineup has been incredibly successful the last two seasons. The Bridges and Washington front court pairing has actually been incredibly uh, successful as well as a lineup configuration for the Hornets. So uh, another one of these kind of big theoretical conversations to have, you know, that, that has been hanging over this Hornets front office probably now for a couple of years is can Bridges, and, and Washington coexist together, I think that question has been largely answered. That doesn't necessarily mean yeah, Washington I won't agree. ever get moved, but like I think the, I think that works. Evan, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming up. And uh, as always, it's an, it's an interesting back and forth about that. For sure, I appreciate it. We're just, we're just going to say, I think it was either Richie or Spencer brought this up on a pod uh, a few weeks ago. And it was a great point. I mean, I know, I know like Evan Turner is like the, you know, the, the guy that's been discussed as a possibility for Charlotte for, I mean, who knows how many years now it's been a while. Um, and he's on the high end of the spectrum, but one of you guys brought it up and it was like, Charlotte could go the route of finding another center, getting another body in there. And, but but not doing anything that would cause them to really like shake up the roster. Sort of like you look for a, a, a maybe a more marginal addition, which like I, I guess the thought is like, well, what's the point of that? You know, if it's not gonna, but just having one more you know body in there, you know, wouldn't be the wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I mean, look, once they if, like if and when they get to the playoffs, like PJ's gonna be playing a lot of minutes at center for them if he's still on the roster. Like you know, period. Um, that's that's what it goes without saying. And I do think. As far as like Bridges goes, and, and I feel this way about uh, PJ some, and maybe even individually a couple other guys tonight too. I think the presence of Giannis in the 36 minutes that he was on the court, and like how could he not? But just like he, I think he spooked a lot of guys going to the basket. And I was kind of itching down the stretch for, because he was guarding PJ, and PJ was playing center. And there were some possessions where PJ was like in the dunker spot. And it was like, no man, get get out, go, go above the arc. Like, yeah. get, go, go stand that, go stand in half court. Like get, get this guy out of the paint. Cause like, I was just like, it became very, what I thought became obvious to me at the time. The final three minutes was like, if they're going to win this game, it's like, 
they're just going to have to hit jump shots, like, you know, and ultimately they end up just getting stops instead, which was, you know, surprising. But, and certainly LaMelo hit that one big runner in the, in the lane that proved to be the game winner. But the, I kind of was hoping Brega would have like involved PJ a little bit more or just gotten him out of the dunker spot or off the baseline because I just thought Giannis was, was in this like natural help position. And obviously he's, you know, if he's not the best rim protector in basketball, he's, I mean, go, I guess Gobert, but, you know, he's he's in the top three or four or whatever and just would have loved to have seen some ways to sort of like get him out of the paint a little bit more because I just like he had laying completely closed off. It seemed like, but yeah, anyways, but yes, I agree. Like uh, leads your point, like this, the data with, with PJ and bridges for two years now, like you can't, it works. It works really well. Those guys are interchangeable defensively. The, they, they make mistakes, but for the most part, they're both very, very strong and they're athletic bridges, obviously a special athlete and they can both do, I mean, bridges can kind of do a little bit of everything on offense PJ a little more limited, but with that with that above the break shooting of his, man, it, it just makes him a, a real tough matchup piece and can open up the floor obviously for the rest of the offense. I thought Milwaukee's zone was like less effective obviously when PJ was out there, not Plumley. Sort of like you could have one more passer, one more shooter uh, above the break. Yeah, I mean, there's no question those two work together, you know, and that's like the hard part, right, is that that's that's not the question any longer. <laughs> but yeah. I, I do think and I, I, I think I've been pretty steadfast on this. Like, I, At some point, Charlotte has to have a real center on this roster if they want to be a contender, like a real contender, not like, yeah. a, hey, we're aiming to play in or the player or the top six, like or, or we're yeah. going to sniff the six feet. Like if we want to be a real contender. You got to get a center on this roster. And the question I would continue to ask is. I understand the Miles Turner price is going to be steep, but what is your other plan? Because yeah. you you, you yeah. punted on signing Rashawn Holmes this summer, and you could have paid him more than anybody else in the league. Certainly, any other any you know more than any other uh, contender you know per, team that wanted him was going to pay him. So I, I just I don't know what the backup plan is because we can't keep kicking the rock down the road on this. Miles Plumley, Biggs Mac Biombo, you know, the <laughs> diving of centers. Like you're just not gonna compete. You're gonna compete to a certain threshold when when yeah. that's your answer at this because you're one bad bounce away from being matched up with Joel Embiid, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and the players over center. You know, like yeah. Clint Capella gives this team problems. Like yeah. you know, it doesn't really yeah. matter. So you just in, in the playoffs, that's what it's all about. It's about the rosters that are they're that are most well-rounded from one to eight positionally. It's not about what, you know, what your stretch five can do to another team. So I, that's why I still think Charlotte should, should trade for Miles Turner. But all right, let's move on. Yeah. Um, I, I have like, I, by the way, I have like come or like, if they do trade for Turner and PJ's involved in it, I will be sad, but I will like, I've gotten to the point, I got to the point like a month or so ago where I was like, yeah, and this would be, I would be fine with this ultimately. I would understand it. And like, yeah would be pretty excited to get a guy like Turner in the door. Like he's obviously a very good player Two, We should put some respect on Bismack Biombo's name. Uh, the newest member of the Phoenix suns biz might get a title ring this year. Let's see. That would be amazing. Frank Kaminsky and Bismack Biombo reunited in the desert uh, on one of the five best basketball teams in the world. That's amazing. And I, I do wonder if it's deserving is one thing, BG Frank, on the other hand, I yeah, that's true. Yes. Redacted. Uh, yes. He, yeah. Redacted. Um, less excited for him. Potentially getting a uh, a title <laughs> ring, but uh, 
you know, Redacted played some good minutes for Phoenix earlier this year when when Aiton was out for a little bit. So uh, I guess congrats to Redacted. But last thing I was going to say was I do wish, and this is like, this is just a ridiculous hypothetical or whatever. So like it doesn't, this doesn't matter ultimately, but I do kind of wish like seeing how Sacramento's season has gone and the Hornets seeing like how their season has gone and like what they're capable of, but sort of what they're missing. Cause it did seem like Holmes was pretty committed to re-signing with Sacramento. Right. I mean like that, there's no, we don't know for sure, but a lot of what I read or the speculation was he, he really was motivated to resign there, but they've been such a mess this year. I mean, he's been their like best player, like by the way, like Holmes has been their best player. I think you could, I mean, I don't know how he's been awesome too. So, but, but, but Holmes has been terrific. And you know, I just, I wonder if both sides now, if they could like get a redo, they could do a mulligan if they would say like, mm, let's do whatever it takes to make this work. You know what I mean? Like Rashawn, you should you should think more heavily about getting out of here. And in Charlotte, you should just like, you have the space, just, you got to do whatever it takes. Like you have to keep as much space open and available so you can sign this guy into your cap space because, you know, now you have, now you have the risk of needing to trade PJ Washington to get, to get a center of that kind of like impact. Whereas you didn't have to do that. You know, you were only, punting on, you know, some small bit of cap space essentially. So, um, but that's, that's water in the bridge now. I just, I wonder if both sides seeing where they are could, if they would say, if they could go back and say like, no, we have to get this done. And I mean, to me, it felt obvious at the time. I think, I, I think a lot of you guys felt the same way of like Holmes was so obviously the candidate that they needed to try to go acquire in free agency. And I just get the feeling that because they didn't seem like there was a very like public effort to go get him. I guess my guess is he just like felt like he really wanted to be in Sacramento, but I don't know that for sure. And the only thing that could change someone's mind would be to what you just said, Spencer is that Charlotte could offer it. could have offered a a ton of money before the Plumlee trade. That, and I think as more time goes on, like it's, it's almost like the same reasoning Charlotte didn't extend miles bridges when when I think a lot of the fan base thought, no, 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 we saw enough. It's it's just that that's kind of what Mitch brings, right? He's just like, Hey, we have time. These yeah. guys are young. Patience. Patience. Let's just wait this out. Let's just let this group come together in their own time. Lamelo had a great rookie year, you know, but we don't know what's going to. So, I, I don't know. You, you read the tea leaves. It's kind of, I think, yeah. what you see. Now, I think it, the narrative's different. 22 and 19, guaranteed at the All-Star break, a winning record. Like, this group's come together. So, all right, let's move on. Rosier, uh Lee. I think I was reading something on Twitter. You were mentioning how well he shot the ball over the last few weeks or so. What in the world has changed? I mean, I think we all probably knew this was coming at some point, or certainly we hoped it was. He seems to have returned to form from last season. Does anything look different, or shots are just going in now? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it, 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 it seems so long ago now, but he had such a slow start to the season after after working back and missing time. So, so you know, that first kind of two weeks of him finally getting back into the rotation, you know, just didn't look like the kind of like fringe all star. You know, one of the one of the most elite you know movement uh, catch and shoot guys on the planet from from the last two seasons and. You know, me and and Brian have, have kind of been saying for the last I don't know like month or so is like Terry Rozier is eventually going to catch fire. Like this is just a mathematical matter of time. And 
uh, you know, a guy who's been right at 40% from the three-point line over the last two seasons. I mean, 10, 10 to 15 games into this year, you know, he was in the high 20s. And now, this is prior to tonight. Tonight, Rozier goes four for 11 from the, free, from the three-point line, which is, which is fine in its own right. But over the last eight games prior to the night, he was 36 for 73 from the three-point line. That's 49%. And prior to the night, he was back up to 38.8% from the three-point line. So you, you over this last eight to nine-game stretch, over this last you know four to five weeks, the Hornets' offense has just been reinvigorated with the Terry Rozier elite shooter that we've become accustomed to in his two years in Charlotte. And it, it, it just obviously like completely breathes life. Um, into this offense that was already rocking and rolling. And the, the only other thing I'll say is, um, you know, the Hornets as a team have obviously shot the ball incredibly well this year. They're right under 38% as a team, which is near the top of the league. The only guy on this roster right now that is maybe kind of underperforming or, or shooting uh, under his last couple years of percentages is Miles Bridges who's like kind of casually in, his, in the low 30s for the season at about six attempts a game, which is just something to monitor. I mean, it's still we're still not even halfway through yet. Uh, Bridges could certainly kind of get that back to the mid-30s if he shoots the ball well in the second half of the year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just the main point here is, Brian, we finally got the, the hot Terry Rozier month, and he continued it tonight again. Yeah, I mean, we, we know – We've seen like what Terry did the first two years in Charlotte, the the volume, the efficiency, and how he hit, like how he got a lot of those three point attempts off movement, coming around screens, coming around handoffs, uh, the ATO calls of James Borrego, the all the the non pick and roll stuff where where Terry's the one coming off a of a pin down or a flare and and, and hitting like big tough shots um, is. Uh, was huge for this offense last two years. And it, it's been big since it came online this season. And you said, no, you're like, there's 150 games or so of, of, of data here with Terry as being like one of the better movement shooters um, in the NBA. And, and yeah, he's gotten hot. And like, I mean, at this point now, after getting off to a slow start, here are some Terry Rozier stats, uh, spot up, uh, a, a shooting on spot up was 58% effective shooting, 83rd percentile in the NBA. Uh, coming off screens, 55% effective shooting. He's in the 63rd percentile there on good volume. Uh, handoffs, 59% effective shooting, 84th percentile um, in the NBA. So, yeah, I mean, it's just like with Terry, it is just, it's been bombs away shooting off the catch, but he's also been pretty darn good. I think shooting off the bounce, getting into his mid-range game this season, <laughs> like on volume, Terry Rozier is in the 91st percentile, according to Synergy, and off the dribble jump shot efficiency in the half court, just under 58% effective shooting. He hit some big shots tonight too. But I think even like outside of like the scripted stuff that Charlotte does, and you saw them go into that that veer, the veer pin down action for him a bunch tonight where they, they fake the, the – the center fakes the down the, the the ball screen with Lamelo and then sprints over and sets a pin down for Rozier. They called that as an after timeout call uh, with about three minutes left. Um, but but Giannis blew it up 
Um, but even just like the ghost screen stuff with Rozier that we've been talking about for three seasons now in Charlotte, that was huge for them uh, tonight. Th- that may have been actually like what kind of they just flowed into on the LaMelo game winner. I actually, I couldn't remember if there was like a Rozier like ghost cut across the formation for that. But um, I just, having a guy like that that can run around screens and also shoot off the dribble you know, Terry's got some warts offensively and certainly defensively. He's not been good this year, but, um, but man, with his shooting ability off the catch in that pull-up game, I mean, he's a, he's a real weapon, especially when you compare him with the pl- passing of LaMelo, the, the, the downhill driving rim pressure of, of miles bridges, the, the spread, you know, small ball five shooting of PJ Washington. Then all of a sudden like Rozier can just like, is another uh, he's a breath of fresh air for the offense because of what he does when he doesn't have the basketball and offense. It's a real, real weapon for the Hornets. Yeah. I mean, you guys laid it out perfectly. Um, the thing that I enjoy watching the most from Terry, and it, it it's just consistently true is the, the tough shot making of that guy, whether it be off the ball or on the ball, like he's best. When he, when he gets those uh, those tough shots, especially going to his left, I guess, like he is, he's really an unbelievable tough shot maker. His balance in midair is unlike most guys in this league, and the lift he gets on his jump shot is also very very rare. You don't see many guys get that kind of lift, uh, and at his size, he, he kind of has to to be that kind of shot maker. So it's great to see Terry get going. He's he's obviously a, an, an added bonus to this offense. Um, last guy we want to hit on Hayward great game tonight awesome start you know it felt like this offense was kind of living in the mud to start this game and it was Rozier and Hayward to get it started obviously Rozier just hitting shots tough shots a lot of the time but Hayward was the guy that was getting into the paint he was you know that mid post area you know the, the, the short mid area like Again and again and again, we've talked about this a million times. He is kind of the X factor for this entire Charlotte offense because when things aren't going well, when they're not making shots, you know, when when the spraying it all around the paint and P.J. playing the five and pick and pop and and keeping it moving, when all that's not working because shots aren't falling, Gordon Hayward has to be the answer. And he was early in this game tonight. And – you can really look back to the first quarter and say Gordon Hayward probably won this game for Charlotte just because how good he was in the first quarter. So he just – he's not there every night. You know, he's 30 years old. Uh, I think if you continue to poll the national landscape, they would tell you that it's a still a terrible contract. But he really brings something to this offense that if they yeah. didn't have it, they would be an average NBA offense. I think the other thing is, and I'm, you know, I'm knocking on wood. I'm doing a rain dance. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything uh, as I say this. But, you know, the Hornets have gotten 39 games out of Gordon Hayward this year so far. And he's playing 33 minutes a game. Um, Crazy. And Crazy. Like, like, yeah. I, I mean, if you if – you, very close I think to you, the over-under, Lee. I think we said like 50 or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think if you – I think if you told Mitch prior to the season, hey, you can you can get 30 games out of Gordon Hayward prior to the All-Star break, you know, take it or leave it. I think he would take it every day of the week, and he's got 30, uh, actually probably 40 after tonight. So, you know, that's, that's just the, 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 the massive thing is having him available, having him on the floor, 
because of all the things you just laid out, Spencer, because of his calming presence, because of his ability to facilitate from all over the floor, and and to just being like a professional isolation scorer. I mean, you know, there's there's multiple examples this year of Hayward kind of attack, just relentlessly attacking an opposing wing defender who has no business guarding him. Like they like they do that against the Wizards with uh, with Kispert and Denny and and Bertans. Like they just they'll just get Hayward in isolation and let him go to work. They did that again some of the night. So um, you know, and, and the other thing I was gonna my last thought here was like when when Portis uh, who was having depth per, depth perception issues according to Eric Collins and kept <laughs> and kept whacking everybody in the face when Hayward went out there. You know, I, my heart kind of sank because you already are down Kelly Oubre tonight. And I just mm-hmm. think, like, not having – if Hayward would have gone down after that hit to the face, not having Oubre and Hayward would have probably been terminal for the Hornets tonight. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought him up, Spencer. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day with Hayward, a couple things. One, when he's available like this – that contract's not so, that, that contract doesn't feel too bad actually. Like to be totally honest with you, because like it's he's good. Agreed. <laughs> he's a very just a very good offensive player when he's available. He's he's productive. Um, we I, I mean I've mentioned this too many times to count, but it's like that dude is six seven six eight. He can post up mismatches. He can shoot and pass from from every level of the court. Even though he's not a rim pressure guy, because he can post. Because he can hit mid range on it, can create his own shots. Because you can work him in tandem with Lamelo in, in two man actions or Rozier in two man actions. He's just a great player to have offensively. Like he just he just is. And um, you know, Spencer, you said this earlier, and it, it about when you're talking about Mitch Kupchak, and it reminded me of something we talked about maybe like last off season, but just you know, Mitch, Mitch, Mitch. Um, advocating for patience and like sort of like a slow burn with the, with the roster. And overall, like, I think that's generally like the right approach. Um, Hayward is the one signing that sort of runs counter to that. Right. As far as like, well, what Charlotte are they trying? Are they trying to actually get in the playoffs or are they trying to like build this up around LaMelo? But as I said on the podcast, we did like the emergency pod we did after the Hayward signing, which like, man, November 2020, that was not that was 15. I know everyone says it's a lot. It feels like 15 years ago. 15. How is that only 15 months ago? Like, my, (laughs) oh, my God. Um, Yeah, it was like a week after LaMelo got drafted. Yeah. Wow. Um, But. You bring a guy like in. You bring a guy like that in for what he's going to do for Lamelo's basketball development, which is he's a good player. He's going to take tough matchups. He's just going to his presence on the court is a stabilizing effort, as a stabilizing presence, and a, and a guy to work in combinations with Lamelo and take tough perimeter defenders away from him. It just that's big for for Lamelo's development. So. Um, that's kind of why, like he, you know, he, he can let you kind of do keep your keep your foot in both waters at the same time to an extent. But I can't believe his availability. And yeah, as long as he's healthy, you know what he's going to do on the court at, at this point of his career, which is like maybe not spectacular, but he can pass, he can shoot, he's big, and he can hunt matchups. Um, like you know, you, you can't have too many of those kinds of guys on a, on a roster. Well, we do have to revisit. Uh, at least one, I believe this was a preseason prediction or a preseason matchup that Richie had brought up. 
Mason Plumlee free throw percentage <laughs> versus games played by Gordon Hayward. And right now, I just looked this up. I couldn't believe how close it was. <laughs> so, so right now, Mason Plumlee's free throw percentage is 38%. And Gordon Hayward has played 39 games. So if anyone would like to double down on one or the other, then now would be the time. So it's pretty pretty good. Richie, well done there. Well yeah. done. We're only yeah. halfway through, so it looks like uh, looks like Gordon's safe here. But you never know. Maybe Mason turns into a great free throw shooter. Yeah, I'll, I wouldn't hold your breath uh, to anyone listening right. to this. Um, but the, the last thing I would say would be I was definitely wrong. Like I, we did one to one prop we did was uh, Plumlee's free throw percentage versus Bridges from two. And like I'm gonna be, I said I gave Plumlee the, the benefit of the doubt on that one. And like I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be way wrong on that. Like way, like I'm gonna be wrong by like 20 percentage points on that one. So or 15 at least. So, um, but yeah, yeah, Plumlee, um, he's an interesting player. He is an interesting player. Yeah, he uh, he avoided the free throw line tonight. As 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 uh, Richie and Lee and I discussed last week. We have not seen Mason Plumlee try the Harlem Globetrotters uh, over the head, back to the basket, free throw attempt yet. Until then, uh, they have not explored all <laughs> possibilities with, with rectifying uh, Mason's, <laughs> Mason's uh, free throw uh, shooting uh, woes here. All right, well, maybe I'm trying to stream too much crap in my house right now. So let's all go watch the national championship game. Boys, thanks for jumping on here. Awesome win for the Hornets. Uh, Richie, thanks for you being yeah. in the background and producing. Yeah, go ahead. We're just going to make a quick plug, too, and maybe that's actually what you were building, too. I couldn't tell if you were about to wrap there or not, Spencer, so forgive me. But um, we, we're uh, – Spencer, Lee, and I, we are going to record a uh, – we're going to start – we're starting early this year. I'm very excited about this. We're going to start a uh, prospects uh, pod, getting ready for the 2022 draft. It'll be out Friday this week, most likely, and we're going to pick three prospects – don't think either of these guys are going to be likely to fall to Charlotte. Maybe one of them uh, depends, you know, assuming Charlotte actually keeps its pick. We'll see about that. But we're going to be discussing Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, uh, Ben Matherin or Benedict Matherin from Arizona and uh, PBJ Patrick Baldwin Jr. from Milwaukee. So that'll be in your, uh, your podcast feeds later on this week. And that's going to be something you know, usually we wait till sort of like after the season, but we're going to be doing more of that in season, which I'm really excited about. And I'm sure as we sort of like get closer to the end of the season, we'll be able to touch on guys that are maybe more in, in Charlotte's range in terms of, you know, prospects. Again, assuming Charlotte's able to keep, keep that pick, which is, you know, we'll, we'll see about it. But um, anyways, we're going to start hitting out some prospects here now. So keep, uh, keep an eye out for that later this week. Perfect. Don't forget, rate and review on Apple and on Spotify. For Lee, that's BG. I'm Spencer. We'll see you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.